0: Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players, by badminton players, proudly brought to you by Villan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players,
1: social players, officials, or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry. And we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared, and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. This episode of the podcast is going to be a little bit different. So if you didn't know, I'm Jeff, I'm a dentist and... I also work as a business coach or consultant for dental practice owners. And in that role, I held a webinar for all of our clients who are business owners in the dental space. And it was a webinar about the Commonwealth Games that I recently attended in Birmingham to so the 2022 Birmingham Commonwealth Games. And basically the lessons that I learned there in the lead up to the games, which included training camps, plus the games itself, and how we can relate sport to business so I hope you'll enjoy this one it is a little bit different and it's basically me getting asked a few questions or several questions about what the games were like and also what the business owners listening could get out of the learnings because there are many many similarities between business and sports performance so I hope you enjoy this one and we'll see you soon
2: Most of you might know Jeff though. I think some of you would have known him quite closely in his capacity as a coach. Most of you might know him as the business coach in the Savvy Dentist team. He is one of our most senior business coaches within the team. He's been with us for four years now. Jeff though is also a practicing dentist and a former business uh, dental practice owner himself. What many people might not know about Jeff though, it's partly due to the high aspiring Asian background where he's a dentist, but he's also a badminton player. He started his badminton career when he was about eight years of age and played for Australia or represented Australia for about 15 years. Now, Jeff, though, in his elaborate career as a badminton player representing Australia, he played at the Youth Commonwealth Games in 2004 competed in the 2010 and in the 2014 Commonwealth Games, and he narrowly missed out on being selected in the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games as well. In fact, he was the next person in line to represent Australia at the Olympic Games in 2008. His highest world ranking in the single men's badminton team was 55, I think, when uh, he was in his best form. Now, after playing for about 15 years or during his time as a player, he did start coaching, which started off as a bit of an extra income or or a source of generating extra income, which progressed into coaching the Melbourne University team, the national development team, and eventually ended up or I think had the opportunity to coach the national Australian badminton team from 2019. Now, in a coaching capacity, he's represented Australia and coached the Australian badminton team in the World Championships previously and most recently in the 2022 Birmingham Commonwealth Games. So, Jeff, if I could just get you to unmute yourself, Matt, and uh, say hello to all of our lovely business owners who we've got on the call today. Hey, everyone. Thanks, Vivek. Looking forward to our discussion today. So I don't want to waste any more time in today's session, and I want to get right into it. So Jeff, tell us a little bit about what it takes to be a player representing Australia at such a high level. What are the kind of skill sets that are sort of the non-negotiables? I know it's the top 1% that, if not, have the opportunity of playing and representing a country at such a high level. And also... What happens beyond that? That's an achievement in itself. But what goes into then keeping that skill set or upskilling those players and the intensity at which you compete or train when you're performing at such a high level?
1: Yeah, Vivek, well, I guess you're right in that in order to get selected into a Commonwealth Games team, it's very much high pressure. An athlete or a player wants to be selected, then they have to play a range of competitions or tournaments, as we call them. And we have definitely specific ones that we focus on the most, such as the national championships and the Oceania championships. They're probably the the biggest ones. And then we also have national trials where it's literally playoffs for spots into the national team. So I guess when you talk about skills training and the amount of skill that you need, there's definitely a minimum to be able to reach, reach these levels and to, to play at the Commonwealth games, et cetera. So. I think what you need to, what is really important though, is that regardless of whether they make the team or they don't, or whether they win the Commonwealth Games or they don't, or even the world number one now, there's no stopping to the skills training. So there's always things to be better at. You might be really, really, really good, but it can always be better. It can always, always, always be better. And so you see the best in the world and they're still training that they're not complacent about where they are. If you look at, let's just use tennis because maybe tennis is a bit more well-known like Novak Djokovic, say Nadal, Federer, just say the top three there for so many years, They're, they're still training regardless of how good they are. So I think the The skills training is something that never, ever stops. And I think that's definitely relatable to a dental practice or a business or anyone in that matter, where it's so important to be always developing your skills. And also when you are doing the training, then there's also a level of intensity that you need. So there's no point in from a sporting perspective in going and doing your training at a 50% intensity, because when you get out there on court, or on the field or wherever that might be in competition in the heat of the moment, the intensity is double or triple or even more. So in order for you to perform well on match day, then you also need to train at the intensity that you would on match day as well. So you need to replicate the environment as well. So as well as you can. So if you're thinking that from a dental practice point of view, for example, the role playing that we all love to do, right? So when you're, you, when you're with your associate dentist and you're getting them to practice a compelling reason or the handover, even though it is a, a role play, even though it is a practice, just making that as realistic as possible is going to help so much when they actually get out there and do it in the intensity. So basically replicating what's going to happen in your life.
2: So what I'm hearing is that, Jeff, just because you're at that top 1% or you're representing Australia at such high level, you don't have the luxury of not practicing your fundamentals or not worrying about the foundations that are required, I believe, at that level. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. So perfect. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the mindset, Jeff, Like, and especially as a coach. What sort of a mindset do you strive your team, not just the players, but also the support team to be in? And and how important is it to cultivate that mindset perhaps and keep that vision of winning the game and not losing focus while you're there? Yeah, well, I guess when
1: someone makes a Commonwealth Games team or when someone has a win, it's always really important to celebrate it. Celebrate and say, you've done really well. You've trained really hard. If you worked really hard and you've gotten this thing. I think for us, because the Commonwealth Games is when you actually make the team, then you have to go and compete. So it's a little bit different. So we wanted to make sure that we got into the mindset of all the, the athletes that made it into the team that the job is not done yet. Because a lot of the time, once you achieve something like that, sometimes things can go off the rails. Sometimes you forget about all the things that you did to get there. And then you neglect those things. And then you forget that in order for you to get where you got, it's because of the things that you did to get there. And so if they neglect those things, then all of a sudden they're not going to be performing as well. So it was really important for us to say, yep, celebrate, be with your families, really enjoy it. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot more work to do. And let's really stay focused on it. And I think again, that relates back to to us in the in our systems or in our patient management or the communication processes that we have or any recall systems or anything like that. Yes, we might have it down. We've done it once, but do we do it again? Do we do those ex, those little things again and again and again that got us results the first time? Or are we saying, oh, we've done it before. We know how to do it. Are we actually still doing it? Okay.
2: And you've just spoken a little bit about the dental scenario and how it plays out. I think It'd be quite important for us to talk about the role of the support team at perhaps the Commonwealth Games, who the auxiliary team that goes with the players and more often than not, don't get the opportunity to share the limelight. But I believe there's still an essential part of the win or that process to then getting the players to winning. So what is the role of the support team and how do you cultivate that sense that you know you need the help of the support team to be able to cross that line and eventually bring the cup back home yeah look i think it's something that
1: as a former athlete and then going into coaching it was quite a steep learning curve because when you are an athlete you understand that you need the people around you you need your coach you need your physio you need your nutritionist you need the massage guys, you need all of the people that help you really perform. But because you are the superstar yourself, you are the, you are the main event. It's very easy to just be in that tunnel vision and think, okay, all I care about is myself, which to be absolutely honest, as an athlete, that's, it's very much what you need to do because. The other people are there to support you. But when you go from being an athlete to a coach, then all of a sudden you're on the other side of the equation where all of a sudden it's not about you anymore. It's really about what can I do for them. And I think that's really, it's very much a mindset shift that we all have to go through in terms of say for myself, in terms of being an athlete and then coaching, but also as practice owners, because we always talk about key person risk. And a lot of the time, when practices join the Practice Max program, there's usually, as a generalization, quite a bit of key person risk around the principal dentist because they're the main event. They've got their receptionists, their DAs, their support staff, always making them the superstar. They're getting their patients in, they're following up the phone calls for them, et cetera. So it's all about the dentist or the, the superstar. But then when you start to deleverage, and you decide that you want to rely more on systems and team rather than having key person dependence, all of a sudden you have to make that transition between, Hey, it's not about me anymore. It's really about what can I do for the team? And I'm not, I can still be an awesome dentist. Okay. I can still be an awesome coach in my setting, but at the end of the day, it's like, what can I do to support the team? And Vivek, what you said before, the role of the support team is I think it's so underestimated because they don't get the limelight. When we win a medal, the coach doesn't get a medal, for example. like It's very much like that. And although um, I love it, if the coaches did, they probably never will. But a lot of the time, a lot of the performances, I always say to my my players that whatever someone celebrates in public it was always preceded by a lot of hard work in private. So you 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 can only see the public. You can only see the winning shot. You can only see them lifting the trophy. But at the end of the day, you don't know how many hours of hard work went in prior to that in private when no one could see except for the athlete, except for the coach, except for the physio, making sure that they're well-rested, well-recovered. They've got their tape on. They've got everything there. The nutritionist, just everything around the the performance is just so heavily impacted by how well the support team supports the athlete. Even to go to say, we went to Birmingham, right? Which is not really, like the food is a little bit different, but it's a Western country, right? So it's not that different, but the Australian team, obviously the Commonwealth Games Australia, they know what it means to have all of the things behind the scenes as good and as comfortable as possible for the best performance. So literally we had an an experience center, they called it, where they brought Wheat bix they brought literally all Australian brands, Vegemite, they brought all of like the Carmen's muesli bars and the, the porridges and all of the staple things that typically Australians will have or they know of to make it as homely as possible because they know that little things like that making someone comfortable with what they eat that can make a difference at the end of the day so the support team is absolutely huge
2: I know we've got a fair few things to get to but I just wanted to break that down a little bit more and I think this this is a crucial discussion that's happening within the savvy dentist team as well like if you look at the savvy dentist value model like we're always, placing such high emphasis on, on crossing that leverage line, right? Like up until that, when you're working so hard on creating a profitable practice, it's always about the numbers. Like the business owner is working nine to five and perhaps beyond that as well, he's looking at his daily production targets. He's looking at his ebook, he's looking at his free cash flow, And then it's all about the numbers. And I think Jesse put it quite eloquently at the June intensive as well is dentists sort of business owners start having a bit of FOMO to spend some time away from the chair side because they know the kind of revenue that they can bring in as business owners if they are practicing clinically but when we're talking about that scaling discussion when you're trying to make that transition from having a job to then becoming a true business owner you know that entire journey of scaling and i think you as the scaling coach and Barry who's also has got the athletic background and is also the scaling coach now. If any, what were your one or two key takeaways that are key learnings when you made that transition from being a player to then being the coach? Sure. So I
1: think the first one is what I said before, which can be quite in your face and you might not like me for it, but it's not about you anymore. (laughs) It's easy for me just to stand here and say this, but I guess from a, sporting, from a sporting point of view, it's easier, right? Because when you've reached your prime, when your body's breaking down like mine and you need a hip replacement, it is not about you anymore because you physically can't get out there and win because you just physically can't. But as dentists, you can still physically go out and do the work and get more income than your associates, for example. But when you do wanna really make it more of a team instead of you just being a superstar, I think the mindset you really need to adopt is it is not about you anymore. It's more about how I can help. It is about how they can help you, but it's more about how I can help them. So I think that's a really big key learning for me being on the other side of the athlete slash coach position. Because now when I look back, I think to myself, oh, I wonder if I was that demanding when I was an athlete, because some of the athletes are very demanding because it is all about them. But equally, I find myself thinking about training. So, because in in badminton as a coach, the way that you train is very much the way that you perform. And I know that makes perfect sense and it's logical because if you don't train right, then you're not going to perform right. But what I found is that a lot of the time in dental, we are performing all the time and we're not training much of the time. So, if I was just going to put it to you, Vivek, and say, hey, Vivek, I want you to play competitions every single week and you're only going to train once a week because you'll be too tired from the competitions like it's very very unlikely that your performance will go up from those in those every single week when you're competing that often and so if we make the flip i know we can't train the whole time in dentistry like we need to it's a business we need to have see our patients but it's very much vice versa where we're performing an on stage 99% of the time and only the 1% of the time we're doing the training. So how can we expect to be really moving mountains and really making huge progress if we don't have a more regular training that's actually going to build the skills to take the performance to the next level each time?
2: No, I think that's a great point. And I think it's for everyone to think about because I used to get into this rut while being a practice manager myself, where you're so busy and you're so caught up in the day-to-day because like you said, we are on the stage and performing every single day that you tend to overlook or under-prioritize the training because, oh, we just don't have time for it. But I absolutely agree. I think for us to be better than what we have been today or even yesterday, we need to have that opportunity to stop and look at what we do at that high 30,000 feet level and train for what's to come to then achieve our goals as a business or as a team together.
0: Now, just a quick word from our sponsors.
1: The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Volant was first born out of our frustration with the confusing, bright and unsightly clothes and equipment that we saw in the badminton world. But now it's so much more than that. Our mission is to accelerate the growth of badminton by providing players with products that enhance their love for the sport. All in all, it's high quality gear that makes you look and feel great on and off the court. So make sure you check us out at volantbadminton.com and follow us on our socials at volantbadminton. Now, I
2: want to. Take us into training, Matt. You've spoken a little bit about training and I I know most of you who followed us, who are a part of the Facebook group, would have seen uh, Chester graciously posting some videos from the pre-training at the Commonwealth Games or that slogan that stuck with me even now, which was that we win together. So what was that like? What was the pre-training environment like? And how did that slogan sort of resonate with the team? And I might be wrong here, but most of the players, I think, when they get to representing Australia at that Commonwealth level or otherwise, it's such a big platform. They would have competed with one another at some point at a state level or so on. How do you then bring them together and how do you create this cohesive team environment for them to then play collectively for a common purpose or for that common objective
1: Yep. I think the, well, the whole purpose behind the training camp. So just so that everyone knows, so when the team was selected and because a lot of the athletes or the players are spread around Australia, so they're not definitely not all from Victoria, they're all in different States, but we have probably the biggest setup in Victoria, in Melbourne. So we actually got all of the selected athletes into Melbourne about one month prior to leaving to Europe. So that was a commitment that before they got selected into the to the games we had to make them they had to sign off and commit to that because they had to leave away they had to leave their jobs or their study or something like that to be 100% full time focused on badminton so i guess because badminton is usually a individual sport it's not a team sport we really needed them there so that they could be with each other and get used to each other so that when we got over there it's not like they were just getting to know each other and i guess the we win together slogan that we saw, or vinen doing the salmon. I probably butchered the pronunciation completely, but that, that's what it is in Dutch. That really hit the nail on the head because that's what we are aiming for the whole time. That was the theme of the whole training camp beforehand. And we did some team building stuff, which included some escape rooms, a bit of fun stuff. We're getting to think logically together. And then also we had a session or basically a tour of the memorial in Melbourne the war memorial and not the war memorial, like the Canberra one, but it was a shrine of remembrance. And one of the vets was actually there to take them for the tour. And he explained what it meant to be Australian, how it was like on the battlefield, how he lost his closest friends, et cetera. So that really resonated with our team as to what it means to be a part of a team that really cares about each other. And so when we're at training and when we are doing things, I think the one of the big things that we wanted to emphasize to them was that being part of a team doesn't always mean that you are lovely to each other and smiling to each other one of the big things in in badminton and it will definitely be the same for other sports is the the level of what we call sparring so when you think about sparring you think about fighting right you spar against someone but we use the same word for badminton where if we're doing a training exercise if the people who are, are, are sparring against you, if they're not performing well, then your training is not going to be very good. If your training is not very good, then you're not going to be well prepared and you're not going to perform well. So we had, had a lot of accountability on the line, but it's hard to get people to be accountable and to tell, we actually had them tell the other person, that's not good enough. I need you to do that better for me and I'll do it better for you. It was had to be a mutual thing. But to do that to someone that you didn't know at all is quite difficult. So our goal was to really bring accountability into it where it was okay for a player to tell another player, hey, that's not good enough. You need to do this. But at the same time, I give you permission to pull me up when I need to. So I think when we talk about we win together, it's really about that. If someone's not towing the line, if someone's not performing well, then it's either we kick them to give them the urge to go forward, or there's that flip side where we go in and say, are you okay? What's going on? Can we help in any way? So the game, the pre-games camp was really about that and just being in an environment where they're with each other all the time, every day. They trained twice to three times a session a day. They ate all meals together. And that was really just trying to get the mindset of being a unified front in the actual games themselves.
2: Perfect. And, and I don't know about you guys, but there's something about... Slogans that resonate with teams that bring everyone on that collective purpose. And if you take this example and it brings back another slogan that I read when I was quite young, my brothers in the Indian Air Force and they've got this slogan there which says service before self. And I think if there are two industries, which is sports and then the defense forces, where there's that collective importance placed on teams and, and working together as a team, I think that's really important where you've got a common purpose or a common slogan, perhaps, that brings the team together and unifies them for that common purpose. So I think for all of you who worked on building your core values and heard Jesse talk about you know having not having elaborate statements, but having slogans per se or sayings that are commonplace, that are can capture people's interest and can be said in a conversation quite often, I think, will have a, a much more bigger impact on the team and bringing the team together as well. So let's quickly then talk about the actual game itself, Jeff. What was the experience like standing in the opening ceremony or marching there with the Australian flag in, You know, in front of you? And also the whole experience of the accommodation, the competition itself, the pressure, that adrenaline rush when you're, you know, just about to step or coming out of a game, if there was a defeat, but you still need to push on, or if there's a win, you're not getting jumping ahead of yourself and still keeping your focus on.
1: Mm. Yep. So the, the opening ceremony is probably the most glorious part of the the whole game themselves because you go out, and you've got about 30 seconds to a minute maybe of glory, where they announce Team Australia and then all the Australian athletes come out at once. All wearing the same uniform, there's loud music, there's huge crowds everywhere, and you're there waving and you've got little flags and everything. So it's it's really, really special. Although, do you know how we talked about celebrations in public versus what you do in private? In private, it was about a four-hour wait period, <laughs> which included buses, including waiting in this athletics oval for literally like three hours while we were hearing the opening ceremony go on before we were calling, getting called out. And then straight after the march, which is like 30 seconds to a minute, then we we basically left because we had competition the next day. But what happened was because of the the length of having to wait for so long, we actually gave our our athletes a choice whether they wanted to march or not because they had a match the very next day. And to be kind of waiting around in the stadium for three hours plus an hour bus trip and an hour bus trip home, it's... Yeah, up to them whether they wanted to do it with the main focus that we need to perform tomorrow. That is a priority. Of course, we want you to have fun, but we need to perform tomorrow. So we did have some people who, some athletes who didn't march. They were the athletes that had been to a a Commonwealth Games before, which is fair enough. So they've been able to experience all that before. But just in general, the village is is amazing. You've got the food hall, you've got all of the, so that's open basically 24 seven. You can eat what you want, when you want. There's definitely junk food there as well as as good healthy food. So we always kept an eye on that. Then there's things like there was a hair salon. You can get your nails done. There's like a lounge where you've got a pool table. There was like a pinball machine, air hockey table. So there's lots of that fun stuff. But unfortunately, or fortunately, because Team Australia went really well. So overall, Australia won the Commonwealth Games in terms of how many gold medals. But Team Australia had really strict rules because of COVID. And we, as an Australian team, we weren't actually allowed to use any of the facilities at all, except the food hall. So we weren't allowed to go to the gym, weren't allowed to go to the pool, et cetera. So that was good and bad. It was good because it kept our athletes focused because they didn't have a choice. They couldn't get too distracted with everything else that was happening, but also not so good because maybe they didn't get to experience the full extent of the games games themselves, but I guess during the games, we had a, the badminton competition, it has a team event to start and then an individual event after. And what happened was we drew Sri Lanka, which was an unseeded team, which they're a very strong unseeded team, which basically means that we played them very early on when we could have drawn say other countries that were quite a lot weaker. And that was a really difficult time for us because it was our first match. The playing conditions were not very easy in the hall itself. And we actually didn't come through that match. So we actually lost that match. So that was a real, that was a disappointment for everyone because everyone trained really, really hard during, but actually the way that the team picked themselves up the next day and then kept performing. And then for the rest of the games, we had really, really good performances, which was great. I was really proud of that because they really stuck together. That's where that team building, that's where all of the things that we did that maybe we thought, oh, is that a waste of money? Or oh, 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 was that, do we really needed to do that? I feel like those little things that just created those extra little connections really helped the team as a whole. And because of that, we were able to achieve some really, yeah, some, some really good achievements or, or wins in the later part of the games.
2: Perfect. So just quickly then, How do you prep as a coach? And I bet there's a big burden on your shoulders or a big responsibility on your shoulders instead to keep the team focused, especially after such an early loss or, you know, how do you work on your people management skills? And I think there was another great point that you mentioned when we were just quickly talking about prepping for today, I guess, where you mentioned playing to win, versus trying not to lose. So what's the difference there and how do you overall prep as a coach to you know, manage the different personalities and keeping the team focused?
1: Yeah, so I guess if we just start off with a plan to win and try not to lose, that's something that we definitely see a lot in our sport in badminton, but I think you see it a lot in other sports as well. So it's basically where it happens, especially when someone is about to win. So they're so close to winning quite often. They're the underdog. They weren't expected to win. And then all of a sudden they're. we played to 21. So they get to 15 and they just have to get six more points. They've already won the majority of points that they need. And then all of a sudden they go into this mode where they start leaving shots or start just playing really safe. And what usually happens there is they just tighten up and they're literally scared to lose. So if you think about 10 points earlier, they were, all guns blazing because they had nothing to lose. They were, they were going at it. They were playing their game. They were being brave. They were taking their chances when they, they could and needed to. And then when you get to the closing end parts of the match, then all of a sudden, Oh, I'm scared to do this. I'm scared to do that. And that's, I think that's the real difference between playing to win and trying not to lose. It's so easy for me to say, Hey, to win instead of trying to lose but it's very difficult because i've definitely been in that situation before where the last five points in a game is the hardest five points of the whole match because of the pressure because of the expectation and because we kind of lose focus on what's really important at that point in time and i guess going back to from a dental perspective what are we doing in terms of surviving so i and absolutely understand that there are fires to put out Sometimes we get a, a string of bad luck. Sometimes we have to deal with stuff that is making sure that we don't lose. It's making sure that we retain our staff or replace our staff or have enough staff to see the patients the next day. But quite often, because we're so bogged down by that, we don't often, or we sometimes we get stuck and we can't kind of shift the gears and say, okay, what do I need to do to win now? Instead of just doing things not to lose. And being someone who, has to do with a lot of things where putting out fires is very, very tiring. It can be very tiring to stand up again after that and say, What do I need to do to win now? Or, all you care about is surviving. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is that if we are able to have the mindset of, Okay, I've gotten through the survival period. Now, what can I do to win? Then that's
2: also where we can head from here. Yeah. I think this could be a very valuable exercise as well, perhaps not right now, but as dental business owners or as leaders who you know support and lead a team of 10 20 or however many depending on how big your business is perhaps we need to ask that question are we going about our day playing to win or going through the day to win or are we trying not to lose and and perhaps that's a question that we need to ask our team members as well because there will be, certainly have been many instances when i was a practice manager where i was just praying to god for another staff member not to call in sick, or another piece of equipment not to malfunction. So you're constantly living in that fear of, okay, let's just go through with this day without having any more issues. Then you start losing focus on, hold on, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What is our big picture? And how do we go beyond these fears, but then to have that mindset of winning? So just quickly then, lessons. What have been your lessons as a coach or as a team, when you sat down with your team, you know, and had that chat after the event, what have been your key takeaways? How do you celebrate wins? How do you cope with failure with keeping in mind, you, you have to do it all over again. And how do you do it all over again?
1: Sure. I think that Vivek, I forgot to answer your question about preparation. And I think that's also going to come into one of my lessons anyway. So, so that works out really well. So in terms of the preparation and one of my lessons is just really knowing what you're good at so i guess from a commonwealth games perspective because we are supported by the commonwealth games australia we do have access to the physios we do have access to massage we do have access to nutrition the recovery etc so we were able to focus more just on what mattered to us which was the playing the tactical analysis of the game so we'd always do video analysis of the games before Against so the opponents that we're playing against, we do video analysis on them to say, okay, we need to watch out for that shot. We need to make sure we do this. This is where their weakness is. This is where their strength is, et cetera. But it was really good to not be able to not have to worry about all of the other things. That's more from a Commonwealth Games perspective. But when we step back and say, if it's a badminton only event, because badminton doesn't have a lot of funding then we don't have the resources to have a physio to come every time. We don't have the nutritionist or the recovery expert or all those other support staff around. And all of a sudden the coach, instead of just being worrying about what we do on court, it's really about everything. And it is very, very overwhelming. So if we go back to say lessons and business ownership as well, is that sometimes it it might feel like you need to take everything on but there's going to be some people who are definitely better or maybe have the better expertise or experience or, or something or personality even to manage the other sides of things. So it's going to come down to that leverage. It's going to come down to which people can I delegate to that are probably going to do the job as good or maybe even better. So I can really focus on what I'm good at, what's important in my role as a business owner, as a badminton coach, and then not worry about of course, I have to be across things. Of course, I need to know that, hey, this player has a sore knee and I need to adapt that into what I do in terms of the training and how we how we manage the load. But I'm not responsible for treating that knee. I'm not responsible for doing the massage or taping that knee for the game. I've let that go to the physio because that's the better person. That's what we've delegated that role for. So I think in terms of the lessons, what I've learned, especially with the extra support, is that if we're able to focus on the things we're really good at, then we're going to get a lot more. I think we're going to get a lot more bang for buck in terms of the effectiveness of what we do. But then at the same time, it's going to empower the other team member who you're delegating to, like the physio in my situation. And really the physio was really grateful because we'd incorporate her into the training plans and say, how's this player going? What do they need to do? Do we need to be careful about anything? So she felt like she was part of the team and she knows nothing about badminton, but that's okay because that was our role and her role was the, the physio part of it. So I think that's a real lesson in terms of just working to people's strengths and having a team around you that you can delegate to so that you don't have to do everything because otherwise it's very, very tiring to do so. I think one other insight as well or lesson, Vic, that I've I've really taken away is something I posted on the Facebook group about the ABCD players, so basically the, the performance culture matrix. and. You joke about this because you think, okay, if you're an Australian Commonwealth Games team, you should be all A players, right? Sadly, no. Um, there are definitely the, the players that are good in terms of merit, but they don't fit that well in the team because they don't buy into the team culture. And they don't want to do this. They don't wanna, they're a lot more selfish per se. But one real surprising thing, I know that Jesse has said, and and we've had the experience, it's really difficult to change someone's culture or attitude, right? We can always build skills. But what I noticed is the player, the athlete that was in this category that didn't really fit in with the culture, because the rest of the team banded together so well, it actually pushed her up. I said her, you've got got one in five chance to work out who it is if you know he's in the team. And by the end of it, she was actually a really, really supportive player in the team in the whole part of it. She definitely has the skills. She's a very good player herself. But i really feel that because of what the team, all the other team members were doing, that really helped push up her level in terms of her attitude, her commitment and bonding with the team. So I'm not saying that We're not, we're going to be able to change everyone's attitude. But that was really surprising for me to see that even though it is difficult to change someone's attitude or their culture, because the rest of the team were exhibiting it, I think it had either a rub off effect or also it might have made her feel a little bit more left out if she wasn't that kind of person that was a team player. So that was really interesting.
2: I don't know about the others, but what I heard from that is how we always hear this common frustration that if only my recruitment process was better, that I would recruit all the A players and then I don't have to worry about team challenges or team member challenges. But it's good to hear that even within the Australian badminton team with such stringent, I believe, selection criteria on putting a team together, there's still team challenges. There's still C players there, albeit at a higher level, but -hmm. there's you still have to constantly work on your team you don't get even a team of eight players and have the opportunity to then win everything over you still need to work on that team and i think that's what makes it all the more interesting and, and brings the team together as well because you go through that process as well
1: so from henry and i at the badminton podcast thanks for tuning in to this episode If you've enjoyed it or found it useful, be sure to share it with your family, friends, teammates, and someone outside your badminton circle too, because with your help, we can show the world how incredible badminton is.
0: To keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Badminton Podcast, and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.